Well, we are in part two of um, a series about sexual integrity. And what we're seeking to understand from the scriptures and to walk in is God's plan for sexuality. What did he design and what does he desire? I want to start by uh, reminding us that the grid that we're looking at this through is that this message is for believers. We're engaging with God and his teaching about sexuality as followers of Christ. And this is upstream from nation, state, patriotism, party, and preference. You and I, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. What God has commanded us to do as individuals and as the church is the same in every setting, in every culture, and in every context. We're not called to enforce sexual morality on those who are not desiring to follow Christ. I don't know if you guys noticed, but in this world, God gives an incredible amount of latitude for people if they are willing to reach for him. And that includes the areas of sexual morality. God is not enforcing his laws upon people, but he has given us this time on this earth to choose him in the midst of options. What we are doing is for those of us that are following God, we are seeking to follow Christ and to obey him in all things, which includes our sexuality. So that's the premise that we're hearing this from and that we're understanding this from. And I think this is very key because there have been a lot of different attempts to engage these areas of morality through history, and um, many of them not good, amen? Many of them not great, but we know that this is how we're called to engage with this. So can you guys receive that? All right. So today what we're going to talk about is context of sexuality, and then we're going to talk a little bit about singleness. And uh, so that is, is what I get to do. And after I've shared for a few moments, um, if there's any time left at all, and we'll see, then Janelle's going to share a little bit. And I don't want to hear better feedback for her than for me. I'm just saying that right out of the gates. All things are equal but I'm a lot more fragile than Janelle. So she'll be following us, and then we have a great testimony from Amelia. Um, so uh, it's going to be a great day. So the first thing I want to talk to you about <clears throat> in regard to sexuality is sex is temporary, but intimacy is eternal. You see, the, the, the important thing for us to, to understand right out of the gate, right, is I don't know if you guys noticed, but the, the place we live, the nation we live in, most of the world sexualizes everything. Like we use sex to sell tacos. We use sex to sell cars. It's everywhere. I, it, every bit of fulfillment in one way or another seems to be purported as though that's something sexual. Like if you're going to be a human being that is fully realized and fully alive and fully actualized and fully experiencing all that this life should give you, it is jammed through the filter of sex and sexuality. Has anybody else noticed that? And here we are as the followers of Christ, and we live in a completely different kingdom where not only does everything not run through sexuality, but actually sex itself is temporary. You're looking at me like I'm an alien. And in fact, I am. I am part of the kingdom of heaven and I live on earth with you guys, but you too are aliens. 
But let me, just, let me just show you a scripture here, Matthew 22, 29 through 30. Jesus is being asked by the Sadducees about the new heaven and the new earth. And the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They believed that when you die, that's it. There's no resurrection. And so they asked him a question. They said, look, here's this lady. She's been married to seven different people in her lifetime. When she is resurrected in the new heaven and the new earth, which one will she be married to? And they're like, ha, ha, ha. And Jesus responds like this. You're in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. Not that we'll fly around with little harps and naked fat babies with wings, but we will be non-sexual like the angels in heaven. So this whole gift of sex is a temporary gift unto reproducing. We create kids through sex. And you know what? God is good. Say God is good. So he made reproduction fun. Yeah, I know that's a shocker for some of you, but he is good. And everything he comes up with is a really great application and way to do it. And so sex is a gift that has been given and it is a very nice gift. And it is for the purpose of two becoming one flesh. And within that covenant of marriage to reproduce kids. And that is an aspect that's a wonderful gift if that's the gift that you've been given. But that gift is temporary. This is a huge deal for us because it brings into context something that is probably one of the most overemphasized aspects of the life that we live in at this time anyway. The world sexualizes everything. God does not sexualize everything. So, so let, me, let me share with you within that context then the gift that we're given. If sex is temporary, that's fine, then that means that intimacy is available aside from sex, and we know that intimacy is eternal. If we're going to be with God, if to know God is eternal life, right? And in that eternal life, we are fully in this new heaven and this new earth that he creates. And it says there'll be no more death. There'll be no more shame. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. How many of you guys are looking forward to that? No more sickness. No more stinking cancer. Come on. No more racism. No more sexism. No more isms. Oh, good day isms. But we'll be here, present with God and with one another in complete and full intimacy with no shame, no breaks between us, no manipulating, no more using one another to get what we want, no more doubting one another's motives, but fully knowing God as he is, knowing ourselves as we are, and knowing one another as each of us is for all of eternity in the fullness and goodness of being present with our beloved Father, with our beloved God, Holy Spirit, and our hero, our big brother, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Come on, does that sound amazing? And you know what we won't need? Sex. Did you know that we're all going to be brothers and sisters in heaven? And we're all going to be friends, one with another, and with God. Family and friends. This is the context of the redemption of all things. And we're, 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 what do we pray? We pray 
on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? We're praying that those, those relationships, that intimacy, that goodness, that, that beauty of heaven would be found and we would get as much as we can out of heaven onto earth, right? He didn't say, pray that earth would get to heaven. He said, pray that heaven will get to earth. Pray that all the things that are there will come here now. So within our relationships, we're already invited to start experiencing and demonstrating the love that God has for us and one for another that is so far beyond sexuality. It can't even be contained in sexuality. Sexuality doesn't even come into it. It's so much bigger. It's so much more eternal. Are you with me? Let me read a scripture to you. The reason why I bring this up, I'm going to get there. The reason why I bring this up is that that love is not experienced sexually. Full stop. That love, that connection, that goodness, that intimacy, that purpose, that eternal reality is not experienced through sex. Everything that we've been promised is experienced in this area of love and intimacy and ongoing eternal value and identity is outside of sex. Sex is just this small facet that is a gift should God call you to be a married person. It means that all of us will be single for all of time. And in fact, some of us have been called to that high calling while on the earth, which means you're already in front receiving something from God that we will all together receive when we're together in heaven. You guys are looking at me like that. Doesn't sound right. Let's go to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 7, 32 through 38 says this. I, I love this. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs, and her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. This freedom, right? What, what, is eternal, what is eternal life? Undivided devotion to be present with the Lord. And he actually invites us into that to some extent. We don't get to see him as he is yet, do we? I mean, we're all reaching. We're all longing. I'll get to that in a moment. But we are actually called to be present with him as individuals. So he says, look, I don't want, I don't want you to be concerned about those things, it's better for you if you could remain single because then you're in no way hindered or pulled or your attention be divided from the Lord himself who is our ultimate desire is to serve him, to extend his kingdom and to be devoted to him. Amen? And so then he goes on, if anyone's worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. Here's what I want you to understand, saints. In the kingdom of heaven, singleness is better. 
No, no standing O. Okay. I'm going to have to continue to talk to you about this. You know, the reason why, the reason why that actually feels almost like, are you kidding me right now? Is because actually the church has done a poor job of late. I mean, to the extent that I can speak for the church, like, Lord, help me. Um, but I am a minister of the gospel, and I am in the equipping ministry. And so I want to say this as, a, as an equipper, and we're, we're going to do a little identificational repentance here at the end of this, because ultimately what's happened is, especially within the church, we have overemphasized marriage to the point that it's like if you're single, you almost kind of feel like, hey, when are you planning to like finish getting saved? You know what I mean? Like, when are you going to finally, like, settle down into your true salvation and get yourself a husband or get yourself a wife? Like, when will you finally be doing, you know, what we're all designed to do, which is to get your hitch on so that Jesus knows you love him? And that's just wrong. It's just totally wrong. And, and then there's been this pressure, too, because when you're single, like, even if you are planning on getting married, you should be rejoicing you are invited to. I don't want to say you should. I don't want to should you. But the scripture is saying there's actually this opportunity to rejoice because you have absolute freedom to devote yourself to the Lord. Like, you want to go on a mission trip? No problem. Sell your stuff, throw, throw, you know, park your car at your mama's house, and go on missions. Like, you got nothing holding you back. You, somebody says, hey, dude, you up for some mountain climbing and maybe we'll pray for a divine appointment? No problem. I was just... Hanging out, let's do it. The other thing is, by the way, single friends are super awesome. Um, like as a married guy, when my wife, I'm driving her a little crazy, and she's like, why don't you go for a bike ride? Then I just look for the single people and head over there, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? And they're super happy to see me, not like married people. They're like, well, we already had a plan. I'm like, you don't even know Jesus. <laughs> single people are like, come on in. We're glad you came. I'm like, God, thank you for the single people. Finally, somebody acting like Jesus around here who, by the way, was single. This is a really important thing for us to understand because we are only temporarily married in this life. And marriage is a gift if it's the gift you've been given. But it also can become an idol. And to the point that the church has overemphasized marriage, also, by the way, here, you'll get, I'm going to give you married people a little apology. I'm going to do the big one with the single people. But here's to the point it's been overemphasized. It has actually put more pressure than your marriage can handle because you thought that once you got married, all of a sudden it's just going to deliver all this kingdom stuff to you. Let me tell you what marriage does deliver. An opportunity to die every day with someone who sleeps in the same bed as you. It's true. I like being married, but can you imagine being married to me? I'm a lot. You guys get me in like 35-minute increments. Yeah. Yeah. The people that work to me are like, he is forming Christ in us every day. <laughs> well, talk to my wife. It, it's, it really is a beautiful opportunity, but the opportunity is that we're devoted to the Lord, and you have an opportunity to invite someone else into your life and die to yourself in some really profound ways. It's beautiful. I'm not running it down. But if we have sold marriage as somehow, you know, for, the diff for different people that are having a hard time managing their sexuality, like, well, don't worry, when you get married, oh, that's just going to be taken care of. No, it is not. Because the other person, you don't own them, which... It took me a couple years to figure that out. <laughs> I know you had to schedule stuff. Anyway, perhaps I digress. The point is, this is not about, this life is not about you. 
This life is not about me. This life is about Christ. And in fact, let's, let, let's go to the scriptures here. Like, like, they can say it better than me. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 24. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Uh, me, 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 me. If you live according to what you want and when you want it and how you prefer it and how you like it and what you got, and I just want to be happy. Just There's a beautiful African proverb that says this, the only bowl that can never be filled is the bowl of human desire. If you live for your own desires, you will never be satisfied. If you live for sex, there'll never be enough sex. If you live for money, there'll never be enough money. If you live for admiration, no one will ever admire you enough. Whatever it is that you put there, will destroy you. It will, it will, as Red Crab says, it will eat your lunch and pop the bag. We are created to follow Christ. For those of you that are young, we used to pack our lunches in bags, carry them with us. All right, let's continue. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, that's Daddy God. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Beloved, we have to understand this. In this life, you will suffer. We're going to get into this a little bit deeper, but I want you to know if, if you're someone who has a desire, a disordered desire that's outside of what God has called for you to walk in as a believer, then you may suffer with that for the duration of this short life. Are you with me? But you will then be fulfilled in the glory of God when together we leave this temporary part of life and we enter into eternity. So even if you are suffering, and you and I all will in one way or another, that suffering comes to an end. You see, this is a counter message to what the world says. The world says you must never repress your desires. You must fulfill your desires, or else you are not living a full, good life. And God says, actually, you must put to death your desires and seek my desires, and you will, you will receive not only treasure in this life, but eternal life and reward in the next, and you'll live forever. Are you with me? It's a totally opposite message. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. I love this. He says, okay, you're going to suffer, but let's contrast and compare here. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. How many of you guys notice that you're dying every day? It's a bummer. The older I get, the more I'm just like, this groaning thing is getting real. You know, like, oh, okay. Or like today, I had too much cheese and too much cream in my coffee, and I'm like, golly, heartburn. I can't wait for my new body. Okay. That's for the older people in the room. All right. 
We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You see, we are all in this area, in in this area of our sexuality, in this area of this life, in this area of what we need. We must understand every bit of that is temporary. And there's a certain point that nothing will be fully realized and satisfied until our bodies are redeemed and we are together present with him. This is the context of sexuality. Are you with me? Now, I promised you some identificational repentance. And the key thing that I want you to hold on to is that we will be single forever as brothers and sisters in the kingdom, friends and family. And so any place where we have put our sexuality as the primary place of our happiness is foolishness at best and idolatry at worst but rather let us lean into our identity as sons and daughters and friends of God and one another and our intimacy will be fulfilled. To the extent that the church has overemphasized this idea of marriage, I want to ask you, please forgive me and those that have equipped the saints and those of us that have embraced this idea that until you're married, you're not a whole person. In fact, the scripture says that not only are you a whole person, but you've chosen something better. And if the Lord does choose that you're going to bear the cross of marriage, receive that gift too. (laughs) But I do ask, please forgive me and the church for putting an undue pressure on you that would cause you to not delight in the call that you have as a single person. And for those of you that were married at one time and now have been through suffering become single again. May the Lord bless you in your singleness. May you receive the gift that it is that you can be wholly devoted to the Lord for as long as he should give you that gift in this life. It's up to him what he he would do. But know this, together we will all, and we all look forward to the hope that will be realized when we actually all become single and spend eternity together as family. Amen? Janelle's gonna come and talk a little bit about some of those gifts of singleness right now. Sorry about that, Andrew. I'm going to get in trouble. Um, I think that part of the problem with our discussions about sexuality is we've made love so narrow. It's like Um, romance, sexual love is like the gold standard and anything but that is just a lower rung or like a participation trophy. It's like, well, if you don't have this, then, well, thanks for coming, but you know, it's not as valuable. And um, in the New Testament, there's several words for love and the, the one that we've been talking about was eros, which is the romantic and sexual love. I think it's sort of like the popular kids in high school where they get all the attention and everybody wants to be, you know, with a popular kid. 
um, it's the you know hormones and ecstasy and all the emotions, all the excitement in our culture. Um, but is it the most important? In our family, we have a term and we say, heck nah, which means nope. It's not. It's not the most important. The Bible talks about several other kinds, and which is agape and phileo love. And agape is the selfish, selfless love, like the love of God that he has for us. And then there's phileo, which is friendship love. Did I say that backwards? No? Okay, sorry. Phileo is like the friendship love, that beautiful intimacy that God has called us and created us for is to have that kind of relationship with other people, men and women. We're designed to be surrounded by both of those kinds of loves and to thrive in community with deep, um, meaningful friendships marked by affection, mutual respect, and mutual care. When I describe those types of relationships, I'm sure we can all think of people like that in our life. Like I could just rattle off a name, you know, 20 people that, that are in that category for me. I feel so sad that in our hyper-sexualized culture, we undervalue and have really lost the beauty of deep, intimate friendships. You know, we've, we've made it weird. We've made it awkward. And our culture looks down on friendships as like the consolation prize of romance. And it's just sad to me. If you get friend zoned, like that's an insult. Like, ooh, ouch, they got friend zoned. Um, and in our culture, again, only eros is really considered to be the true love, which I think can be weird and confusing. I think that it sends so many mixed messages and I think as I was writing some of this, I'm like, man, remember back in middle school when like your body was doing all kinds of weird stuff and these emotions and confusing messages were being sent? And it's weird. It is so weird. But God made us to be attracted to other people. And that doesn't, that doesn't just automatically mean it's sexual. Um, we're attracted to people we want to be around because there's something in them that God put there that just sparks in you, like, ooh, I want some more of that. I love what, what she or he carries. And that's not weird. That's not weird. That's how God designed it. That's how he created us to be in community here together and to, be to, to, to need each other in that way. And he wants us to form a, that deep bond that isn't, is not romantic or sexual. This is what he made us to do. He designed us to crave these relationships, to crave this being together, to have this intimacy in, of, in connection with people. But when we don't realize we're designed for this, if you don't have a file for deep platonic friendships, you put that attraction, those feelings, that spark into the romantic category. And then that's where it's weird. I think this happens sometimes with same-sex friendships where it's like, oh man, she has that and I love it. Oh, well, does that mean I'm same-sex attracted? Well, no. 
It just means there's something in there that Jesus has put that you love. And I think that's where so often we get confused about our sexuality. Like, it's really okay to be attracted to this in male or female, and that doesn't mean it's automatically sexual. Now, I understand it can go there, but just initially, it doesn't just mean that. And I think in opposite sex relationships, particularly in the church, people think they shouldn't have them because, oh, it might go sexual, so I just better not do it. And I think that's really sad. I think that um, healthy relationships are a huge, huge part of God's design for us, both male and female. John 15, 12, and 13 I love how the message says this. This is my command. Love one another the way I have loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. So that passage says it's a command. So that means it's not an option to love this way. Like to me, he's not giving us a choice. Um, Kathy Stott and Mark Gwillem are two of these kind of friends for me. Um, they both are, I call them my ride or die friends. They're both super direct. Um, but I know that when I need something, they'll be there. No questions asked. They'll also call me on my junk, my attitudes, my, you know, stuff. Yeah, somebody has to. <laughs> it's true. But, but they'll, they'll speak the truth to me. And they, um, yeah, I'm getting all the clamped thinking about just, um, just what they've meant to me. Mark, you probably should step in the hall. I don't want to look at you. <laughs> so I think some of you are probably uh, a little scandalized that I might list a man on this. Um, I think the way I grew up, I probably would have been. Um, and you probably want to assure me that I better use discernment with Mark and my relationship. And I do. And you're right that I should. But I think in any, any relationship you have that you need to do this, not just um, opposite sex, but I think same sex as well, because um, that's just important. Any, any relationship, you need healthy boundaries and you need um, good accountability. Because I think the friend zone is a wonderful place. I think it's, there's so much richness and beauty there and it's a safe place when you're walking in healthy phileo and agape love. It's just really great. There's a lot of beautiful things um, that I think in a lot of ways, it can be more powerful than the eros or the sexual love because that is where the community happens. That is where um, the, there's just a lot of beauty and strength there that can't necessarily just happen in the other place. So Kathy Stott, I've known her um, over 30 years, like 34 or something. Oof, that's a long time. And we have developed just a beautiful trust and um, deep connection. She is safe, she's trustworthy, and she holds me accountable. I can't tell you how many times I've 
texted her and just said, call me. And like my phone rings right away because she knows I only ask when I'm kind of freaking out or I need support or to cry or whatever. And she calls me and she's like, what's going on? And um, <laughs> she points me back to Jesus every time, no questions asked. She listens to me. She asks questions. She guides me and then prays for me, speaks the truth over my life, says the hard things that I don't want to hear, points me back to Jesus. And I always leave those conversations, those phone calls, more encouraged, uh, feeling better, and like reminded of who I am, who, you know, who I am in Jesus, and just the strength that she gives. It's just so beautiful. In our family, we call those kind of conversations a spanking and a hug. When I was a kid, we still they still spanked. And so you'd get a spanking, and then you'd get a hug, just that reassurance of, of love. And Kathy just is such a beautiful example of that in my life. Mark, I've known almost as long, and he um, has really proven himself to be a faithful friend. I did not see this coming. Um, he is not afraid, like Kathy, to call me on my stuff. But I know when I need something, Mark Willem is going to show up. There's been a number of times over the last few years I've texted him and Sarah, hey, are you guys coming to church? And his response is, what do you need? Not yes or no. It's like, if you need something, then I'm going to be there. And I just so appreciate that. He... Um, we have very much a sibling relationship, and we banter back and forth a lot like siblings. He has a certain name that I only call him that I can't say from here. But you should ask him what I call him. You should do that. <laughs> um, but I know that Mark loves me, and he will do what he can, and he has done that for me. He speaks super directly, which is the only way Mark Willem speaks, but... It's what I need to hear, and it's just so, it's just a beautiful part of our relationship is we can be so direct and so honest and not have to worry because it's a safe, beautiful friendship, and he's super just dependable for me. Just because I have the mic, I want to tell you one funny story about him. Um, one time, this has been quite a few years ago, he, I think it was after church, and I, he texted me and said, hey, have I done something to offend you? And I'm like, what the heck is he talking about? And so I was thinking and then trying to understand what um, he was referring to, and then I'm like, oh, I was kind of nice to him today. He doesn't have a file for me being nice to him, so he thought I was mad because I'm nice. <laughs> so if that gives you just a glimpse of what our relationship is like, if Janelle is nice, then she's mad. So anyway, I love both Mark and Kathy with everything within me. And because both relationships, both male and female, have healthy boundaries, then it's beautiful. And it's not weird. You guys, it's part of God's design that my life would be, it would have two huge holes without Mark and without Kathy in it. In Proverbs 18.24, it says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Friends come 
and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like family. Isn't that so beautiful to know that that is options for us, especially as a single or somebody not in a, a relationship? So I just want to encourage you that if you are called to singleness, if that is what you and the Lord are doing, you're not called to loneliness. There's so much room, there's so much space for you to have deep, beautiful, intimate relationships. And he wants that for you. He desires that for you. And he's created a beautiful, um, beautiful options for us to have that. So John 13, 34 through 35 is a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So that's my encouragement today is to go and love, love Love your brother, love your sister like Jesus has loved you. Work on that phileo and the agape love. Do it well, and let's stop making it weird. Amen. Thank you, God. Wasn't that great? Both you guys. That was wonderful, you guys. My goodness. Um. It, I just feel like this is such a great morning, and I'm going to introduce to you a new friend of ours that we just met this week, uh, and she is a single woman who is a missionary, and I just think she's a great example for, for all of us. So, Amelia, can you come on up? Let's give her a hand. She flew all the way from Namibia just to be with us this morning. That's not true. <laughs> Amelia, you are from Namibia, and you have been a part of Youth with a Mission for how many years? For about four years. Four years. Okay. So about four years ago, you were online, and you heard about the Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry, BSSM, down in Reading, and uh, you felt something. What, what, what did you feel? Yeah, the Lord spoke to my heart um, in 2021, around about October to come do BSSM, and that came with faith. So, but he spoke to me two years um, back then uh, through people, but I didn't have faith about it. So, but when he spoke to my heart, it came with faith, and I started preparing myself to come do BSSM. Though I didn't have money, I had nothing. I was just a full-time missionary on fire for the Lord. Right. And um, so... Well, uh, can I interrupt you for a second? <laughs> if you're a part of Youth with a Mission... How many of you guys have ever done anything with YWAM before in here? Okay, so look around. I, I was raised in YWAM myself. I was on staff for years. So lots of people. One of the great things about Youth of the Mission is you don't get paid. <laughs> and so you have to raise your own financial support. So if you're from, uh, you're in Namibia, and you see this thing, and the Lord speaks to you, and you're like, okay, he wants me to come to America and buy a plane ticket. How much was the plane ticket? It was about 20 and um, yeah, thirty thousand Namibian dollars, but um, U.S. dollars is uh, two thousand. About two thousand. Okay. Yeah. So if you're say an average worker in Namibia, you have like an average annual salary. How long would you have to work to to make that money? 
About six months. Okay, so that's half an annual salary to just get on a plane. This isn't even yeah. talking yet about the money that it would cost to go to BSSM. Yeah. Okay, so you, you see it and, and you're like, okay, in August, uh, you, you kind of circled that date, didn't you? You targeted that date. Yeah, I did. So when the Lord spoke to me and I found out the time that I need to be in Reading, so I set my date that I need to be in Reading um, on this date. Like it was 13th August. Okay, August 13th. And this was like many months before, right? Many months before, yeah. Okay, so what did you start doing? So I started telling people about what God put in my heart, but some were not responding good, actually, but that wasn't my business. Because they're like, they're like, are you kidding? Amelia, you have no money. You are a missionary. You have no money. And unemployment even was, was really bad in Namibia as well, yeah. right? So it's not like the nation is awash in excess income. So they're thinking... You're crazy. You're crazy. You are going to America? Oh, come on. So, so, but I didn't give up because I had faith. And I know and I was convinced that I heard the voice of the Lord. So, and God started speaking to people whereby people just coming to me and tells me, hey, God told me to pay this for you. And God told me to pay this. And uh, at the end of the time, everything was paid off except the ticket. Okay, accept the ticket. This yes. big two thousand dollars. Yes. Okay. And now, I, what have you? In, in the meantime, you have been preparing. Yeah, I've been preparing. I packed my bags. I did everything. So I was just waiting for the ticket. Well, hold on. Did you hear this? Out? <laughs> she packed her bags before she had a plane ticket. Yes. That just says a lot. I feel like we're all getting to know you better here. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. So five days before I travel, I still didn't have a ticket. And two days before I travel, a friend, uh, we did not even know each other in person. Like, we still have never met in person. He, he texted me and he told me that, hey, God told me to buy you a ticket. Oh, come on. Awesome? <laughs> and it was, it was another YWAM. Yeah, another person. YWAM person. A YWAMer who already didn't have money, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah. So you got the ticket. Yeah, I got a ticket. I came here with no money, zero money, and no housing. And, you know, for you to get housing here, you need to go through some interviews. And they would tell me that, oh, you don't have money. You're just coming here by faith. I said, yes, ma'am. So, and it was hard. But I had, I had to really allow faith to speak because sometimes faith needs to be violent. Boom. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I told this person that, hey, the Lord spoke to my heart that I need to be in this house. And if I'm sure that I heard from the Lord, that place will have students, but with no room that has no student because it's mine. So, and they did not respond to me, but they responded to me later that, hey, we decided to accept you and trust the Lord with you. So... So you have, for the last year, been able to not only pay to, to get here, but for your whole schooling. And you've had, you have had a, a place to live this entire time, so the Lord's continued to provide for you. Yeah, the Lord paid off my tuition, 
and he paid off my, also I got housing, so it's really the faithfulness of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? It is. So now what she's doing now, she's preparing to go on her, her outreach for the end of the first year. She'll be up in Canada working with a church that she's never been to, working with a pastor that she's never met, um, and going by herself, by the way, yes. to lead a series of revival meetings up in, in Canada. And I just want to point out how stinking awesome all of this is. Because this is a woman. Yeah. This is a, this is a, a single woman, you guys who is going all for it. And I just love what Pastor Joshua says. You know, you're not like not a full person if you're not single. Good grief. Like, look at what God is doing here. And so I just thought this was a beautiful thing to hear this. Faith, faith sometimes needs to be violent, doesn't it? Yes. That's a word, you guys. That's a word, as they say. So we're going to get an opportunity to, to give towards Amelia's uh, outreach. Pastor Mark is going to be in the back at the end with a basket. So if you're so led, please sow into that because we want to back, back up this, this sister. And the other thing we want to do as we're closing the service today, we, I, we're going to, in fact, let's have the elders and, and uh, home group leaders come forward because we're going to uh, offer prayer as we always do. But I want, uh, we asked Amelia if she would pray specifically for any of you who are just struggling with being single because I know that can be a hard thing. So to pray, one of the things that we talked with her is you have, she has a, a, a real sincere love for the Lord and understanding where her, her identity lies, right? Yes, and it's, it's not in being married. It's not even in ministry. It's in, in, in him. In the Lord, yes. Learning to hide yourself in the Lord. So if that's you, if you're like, man, I'm, I've been struggling on that. I just want to ask you, come up and get prayer. And maybe prayer directly from, from this dear sister. Amen? Okay, I just want to pray over all of you. Uh, Lord, we thank you. I thank you so much for each and every one in here. I thank you, Lord, that you, even though all of us have struggled in this area in some way, you have been faithful. So I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. I thank you for your faithfulness in leading us through times of loneliness. Whether we've been single, whether we've been married, you have always been present. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage the hearts of our people to trust you, to trust your timing, to trust your context, Lord, for all of the gifts you've given us, including our sexuality, all of those things. We say thank you. Thank you, Lord. And we pray that you would minister to the hearts of, of our people this morning. Amelia, would you also just pray for, for an increase of, of faith for us? Yes. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Jesus, we thank you because you are the author of our faith. We thank you that each person here will receive this gift of faith in the mighty name of Jesus. That we will learn to hear the voice of the Lord and take steps based on what we heard. Thank you for the radical faith. Thank you for the radical faith in the name of Jesus. And not just uh, faith to take steps of faith, but faith to lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. In the mighty name of Jesus. Faith for miracles, signs, and wonders. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bless you guys. Please come forward for prayer. We love you. Have a great week.